You're listening to Enabled, a podcast brought to you by Ability Advocators. Hello and welcome to Enabled, the podcast where we talk about normalise and celebrate disability and mental health. You are listening to part two of our episode with Bronnie, our fearless leader at Ability Advocators. Last episode, we spoke about Bron's background, including having to deal with sexism in the workplace, as well as single parenting. Today, we are zeroing in on Bron's biggest mental health struggle to date. Stay tuned for part two, starting now. Well, we we spoke briefly the other day about your personal mental health journey and about a time in your life that was the most challenging for you mental health wise. And it was really surprising to me because I just assumed that that would have been centered around the separation from the father of your first child and that single parenting journey. Cause that's, that stuff is hard, mm. but it wasn't, it was not that. And before I'll just do a tiny disclaimer for the purposes of the podcast, I'll just let people know that we are we are going to talk about this, but we're going to do it in a way that sort of de-identifies people in situations a little bit because we're not about naming and shaming, right? Yeah. We yeah. don't want to wade into call-out culture or anything like that. So we want to sort of try and tread that line between authentic conversations and, you know, not wading into that toxic sort of cancel culture. So by necessity, some of these details might be a bit vague, but... That, with that in mind, yes. what was tell us about the time that was the hardest for you for your mental health? So the hardest, I think, time that I've been through personally was a journey even though I was married and had family and actually quite a lot of support around me, I felt very, very alone. And it was all because of my a, a relationship with another person that made me question myself entirely mm. and it 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 yeah i guess it floored me entirely i'd never called myself to question in that way perhaps i don't know mm. but it was a person with a personality disorder i would say leaning towards narcissistic personality disorder so and i i did a lot of research on this because I was trying to work out what the hell was going on. Yeah. And so you do a lot of research and you try and work that out. They actually say that that's one of the, in terms of how do you know that you might be in a relationship with a narcissist or in an emotionally abusive relationship. And one thing that I've heard people say is when you find yourself in the middle of the night Googling like what is happening because it's so foreign to you and you're so confused, mm. that can be that can be a sign that yep. you are in an emotionally abusive yeah, relationship. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess the – and even the tricky side of that is too that a very intelligent and skilled person with a personality disorder knows those signs and symptoms and flips them on to that other person. So um, they play the victim. Mm. when they're trying to yeah so it's 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 a tough one probably the toughest mental mess in a in a relationship that can be I just can't yeah explain enough and this is part of the problem you cannot explain to other people your family your friends that you can't explain what's going on because it's so 
foreign to your thinking. It's tiny little teeny things that yeah. on their own don't make so what. So when you try to communicate them, people will just look at you like, well, yeah, that's not a big deal. You're being a little bit precious. Mm. But, yeah, it's not until you've ex- fully experienced it to the nth degree, it really messes with your brain. And so did you, while that was happening to you, did you did you talk to anybody about that experience while it was happening or, or even after? And what was that experience like for you of sharing it with people? How, how did you feel? No, I couldn't. I, I think I tried. But like I said, I could hear myself talking and it made no sense anyway. Yeah. So how could I, it didn't make sense to me. How could it make sense to the person I'm trying to talk to? So that's why I think I felt so alone because I was not alone. I have awesome, you know, support around me. But you are alone because you're alone in your head with this, with the mess that this other person's put inside your head and it's all up in the head. Mm. So what can you do with that? Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point and probably so relatable for anyone who's listening who has found themselves in this sort of emotionally abusive situation. I think that's a key thing that people would relate to is feeling almost feeling ridiculous when you hear yourself speak about mm, it, when mm. you hear the things coming out of your mouth and try when, when you find it so hard to explain what it is mm. that they're doing wrong. Because mm. as you said, it's t- it's subtle, it's insidious mm, really, mm. but the compounding effect of all of those things on you. And the emotional mess, the emotional, it's like a whirlwind and you're generating these emotional and you don't even know why. Why am I feeling this way? I, yeah. It's not making sense. So yeah. it's, it's oh, it's awful. And also those mind games of if you hear sort of psychologists talk about this, this sort of personality type, I guess, or these kind of toxic relationships, they use an acronym called DAVO, D-A-R-V-O, which stands for Deny, Attack, reverse victim and offender Mm. and so and that's the strategy that they use if you do feel like you can say to them try and confront them and say hey this is happening and it's not okay Mm. they deny they attack you and they Mm. try to reverse that status Mm -hmm. of i'm not the offender you're doing this to me i am a victim yep what impact does that have on you when when something like that happens when people i mean is it gaslighting is that did that happen to you yeah, in a sense that happened. It was certainly wasn't an intimate relationship, so therefore there wasn't that level of emotional toying, mm-hmm. fortunately, but it still definitely messed with my head. Yeah, I definitely think it would be a lot harder for those that are, are, are romantically, I guess, entwined because that's a whole other level of emotional yeah. twisting. Yeah. Mm. How important is it, do you think, when you do talk to somebody about this sort of thing, how important do you think it is to be believed? Oh, it's oh, it's so everything because you just, as I said, feel so alone because you're not even making sense to yourself. How can you expect somebody else to believe you? And they can't, and you can't even articulate mm. the feelings and the emotions and the stress and the the. It's so illogical mm-hmm. uh, as well. But I, I must say, again, once you've been through it, you can identify it as well. And I think that, and I have since, you know, had relatives and friends that I've 
been able to identify it and therefore I can firm up against it Mm. immediately. So I can step away without feeling guilt because guilt's a great a great emotion and it's what keeps you in that cycle. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It's interesting because I, I, I spend a lot of time and energy trying to teach my children about, you know, how to be safe and body boundaries and safe and unsafe people and, and behaviour and that sort of thing. And we have a couple of books that I sort of read to them on rotation. And one thing that each of these books have in common is that children should have a safety network of three to five adults who they trust and that they can speak to if something happens. And one of the books identifies what qualifies a person to be on a child's safety network. And it is that this is a person to whom this child could say anything to and that adult is going to believe them. And that really struck me how important being believed is to our safety, especially our emotional or psychological safety. Mm, mm. And I think often in these sorts of relationships, these sorts of people, toxic people, will make you try to try to make you think that you're overreacting or mm. you're crazy or you're irrational mm-hmm. or you're the problem. And that just it keeps you stuck. You're trapped mm. if no mm. one believes And and they you. will go out of their way to make sure other people in in your circle yes. think that you're the, the nut too. Yes. So you are stuck. You are alone. You are not believed. It's yeah, it can be really, really devastating. How long when this was happening to you, how long did it take you to realise this is a really unhealthy situation for me and I need to get out of this? Hey, if you'd really like to help us, then why not like our podcast? Go and share it with all your friends, share it with everyone at work. Just get the message out there because that's what this program is all about, starting a conversation about mental health and disability And the more you like it, the more you share it, the more the word's going to get out. I had other issues that I guess forced the end of that relationship, my back issues. So I sort of, yeah, I was in chronic pain and that's it. I was bedridden, so I kind of went underground for the next six months. So that was kind of the end of that relationship. But I guess... I had been researching for the previous six months. The whole relationship was only about 18 months long. Mm. There was some some long-term things that happened afterwards that were really devastating and that was that this person had deliberately sabotaged my life in a really big way but in a way that that person would never have even known the outcome. They wouldn't have benefited Mm. and they literally sabotaged my life and for no reason yeah just because they could yeah and it was that was what was mind-blowingly my devastation i think how could a person do that yeah what was did did this have an impact on your health do you think what was the long-term impact you said it was an 18-month relationship was there a long-term impact on your physical health emotional health health Well, I I don't know if you could correlate that because I had the back injury. Mm. And so was that part of the the slowness of my recovery? I don't know. You could argue that it would have played a factor. I certainly came out with no confidence. I had, Mm. I was a person of strong confidence and, and, you know, on paper, 
lots of accomplishments and lots of experience and blah, blah, blah. And I had no confidence. I felt like a little child again. Mm. Yeah, absolutely floored me. What was your self-worth at that point? How's your self-esteem at the end of this, Colin, you're shaking your head. What did, did you, could you see this sort of gradual descent into? I could, you could certainly see that it was affecting just the way that she perceived herself. Mm. Certainly. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's fundamental to our mental health, isn't it? How we think about ourselves, how we how we feel about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. How did you feel about yourself at the end of Well, this? I felt completely incompetent because, and, and of course remembering that I was the, the breadwinner, Colin had done the, you know, the, the parenting role or the home dad or whatever. So I was the breadwinner, the primary breadwinner, and now I was totally incompetent of doing that. I couldn't do that. So I was a complete and utter failure. Not to me. It wasn't me I was so concerned about. I have devastated my family. Mm. I have failed it to provide. Yeah. yeah, I just failed. Do you feel like the impact of this relationship on you was any less significant because there wasn't a physical threat? Nobody hit you. Do you feel like... No, it, it would have been a lot easier and see, you know, if somebody smack you in the face and I've been punched in the face for stepping in between a, a man hitting a woman, which was a bad move, but he floored me and that, that was fine because, you know, what was I doing, you idiot? What was I going to do? <laughs> okay. But it's over. Pain is, yeah. you know, it's like childbirth. It bloody hurts, but it's over. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Dr. Romani, who's a, a resource that you put me onto. In the lead up to this episode, she said that, so she is a a clinical psychologist and a leading expert on narcissism and narcissistic abuse. And she says that emotional trauma needs to be given the same level of seriousness as physical abuse because it has the same level of post-traumatic deficits in functioning. What would you say to that? Oh, look, I've never been physically abused, so I would not try to weigh one up against the other. I would definitely say that messing with your head is just so undefinable mm. that that's what that's kind of half the problem. You know, a, a punch in the face, it's at least it's there, it's done, it's mm. Mm. but oh, the mess with the brain, you can't see a recovery when you're in that mess. Mm. You can't see clarity when you're in a cloud. Mm. Do you think Colin, do you think it's taken as seriously emotional abuse as as physical abuse? <laughs> And probably not, no, because you always hear about you hear about domestic violence. It's always about somebody punching someone or right. pushing them on their scars or bruises or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, I suppose not. But then, yeah, it probably is becoming more and more something that people talk about with PTSD and things like that. So, yeah. It's probably starting to equal out. Yeah, I feel like it's certainly increasing. I mean, you you hear a lot more these days about like gaslighting, for example, was the word of the year in 2022. Really? Yeah. Okay. So wow. People are talking about this sort yes. of thing more and narcissism is, is something that's more sort of widely understood and, you know, coercive control is being legislated against. And these are really great things, but I feel like they're only – not only, but one of one of the key reasons why they're being treated with concern or seriousness is that people are, are identifying that these can be almost like gateways to physical abuse. 
So if there's emotional trauma or psychological abuse, that can lead up to physical harm. Mm. And without in any way wanting to discount how serious physical abuse is, I feel like we do need to recognise that emotional abuse is inherently and independently devastating. Mm. I mean, Dr. Romani, the post-traumatic deficits in functioning are the same yep. for physical yep. abuse versus emotional abuse. Yeah, look, that makes complete sense, I think, because, yeah, it's, as I said, it's in the mind. And then also as well what you're battling against is culture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, physically, okay, if you've got a black eye, you know, and your husband's beating you or your wife's beating you, whatever, you people can see and, and feel bad for you and stuff like that. But actually in in our society, we're still not 100% accepting of, you know, emotional damage. And yeah. so therefore you're fighting cultural boundaries as well. Yeah. I can't see any, I know myself, I'm in chronic pain. And the amount of times that I need to remind people, actually, I can't sit there because I'm in pain, right. because I can't see it. They go, oh, is it that bad? Well, that's chronic pain and I've been telling you for five years but they can't see it so they forget. And if you haven't experienced it, Mm. you just have no concept. That's right, absolutely none. And I'm not going to whinge the whole time because I'm sick of hearing myself. So, yeah, it's the invisibility that can make it even harder. So after you did, or or even while this was happening to you, you went on that investigative journey that you talked about to try and figure out what is going on. Can you tell us about some of the resources that you came across? We've talked to, I mean, Dr. Romani was one. Yes, yes. And I think it was really helpful to find things on YouTube and things that identified some of the behaviours and the, the, the tricks, I suppose, that these toxic relationships can use. One of the books that I did really enjoy was David Gillespie's Taming Toxic People yeah. because I thought, you know, in this world, if this is before I sort of left that situation, I, I need to have some sort of control over what I'm doing and what I'm allowing into my brain. How do I control these toxic relationships? Yeah. So that was really good. Yeah. And that book, he actually he actually refers to these sorts of people as psychopaths. Right. Which I I found deeply uncomfortable. Yes, yes. When I was because we think of psychopaths as, you know, the serial killer, the yep. person who's inherently dangerous to our physical safety you know but then I thought it was so key he because he explains in the book this is why I am deliberately choosing this word and there were two reasons one was he wanted to highlight the lack of empathy which people like this have Mm. I felt like that was so insightful to what's going on behind the scenes at one point he says people people like this they don't care about your feelings any more than you care about the feelings of your hair follicles after you've had a haircut right Mm -hmm. Nice. The fact that somebody effectively doesn't have the capacity to understand or appreciate the pain or damage that they're causing, does that make it better or worse, do you think, to have that knowledge of it? Yeah, it's a a really tough one and I think that's why it's so mind-bending because we who have empathy for other people can't wrap our head around the fact that they can't have any, Mm -hmm. like none. 
like really we can't it's like it's just beyond the edge of our brain and we can't really quite grasp it yeah I feel like in some ways it's almost like a freeing revelation because it gives you permission to sort of stand back from that cycle and not expend so much energy trying to appeal to that person's better nature, trying to explain to them, look at the impact of what you're mm. doing, look mm. at the, the real damage that you're causing. They can't under, they, they can't, it cannot impact them. They cannot have that understanding of it. So it almost gives you permission to step out of that emotional spiral yeah, guess, they yeah, have you in. Yeah, Maybe. actually, that's that's a really positive way to look at it because, yes, people do get stuck in that wanting to explain and, and more so to get them to take responsibility. Yeah. But being freed from that, look, they're not going to. Yeah. You're wasting your time, you're banging your head against a brick wall. Exactly. Mm. And the second reason that he says he's using that term deliberately is to highlight how dangerous people like this are to your mm. well-being. Mm you know, which is really important and not super recognised in society. Is there anything that you found particularly helpful or beneficial about the book? Oh, it's actually several years since I've read it. So, but I do remember that, him explaining that terminology about a psychopath. And I think that it's helpful for us to use a language that's appropriate, even if it's shocking, so that people will be paying more attention to it because I think that it's disarming the toxic person, their little tools and their tricks, the the gaslighting, that sort of thing. It's getting known and it's disarming them. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. What have you done to safeguard yourself from being in a situation like this again? I've actually cut off relationships, even relatives or, you know, long-term or, you know, whatever they may be, I have cut them off without guilt and that that was a huge thing for me and I still get backlash from that but I am, I am very confident that that is the right choice. Yeah, and that's because in this book, Taming Toxic People, he does have some guidelines on how to manage people in your life who are this way and his main thing is if you can get out, get out, Mm, cut mm -hmm. them off completely, which is very telling in terms of there's no capacity to change. There is no, there is no remedying this situation. There is no solution. Which is tough to accept. Yes, very tough. It's like being in quicksand, but surely, surely if I could just grab a branch, right, I would be able to drag myself out. But if there is literally no branches around, it's hard to accept that you're just going to have to stand there and yeah, die or, or run away completely, I yeah. don't know. Do you think, what do you think are, I've asked this to both of you, what do you think are maybe some warning signs or some red flags that if people experience this in another person, that's something for them to, you know, get a bit careful about and really assess that person or that relationship? For me, I, I guess for me, when a person comes to me and says, look, look, I want to get your thoughts on this, this is what happened and this is what I said and this is what he did and then this is what I did and then and that. What, do you think that's weird? Like when they start to question their own sanity and rationality mm-hmm. in, in circumstances and, and that to me is, is kind of one of the warning signs, mm. yeah. And I think also you spoke about a reduction in confidence and your self-esteem. Listen, I think if you're in a relationship with anyone, whether that's at home, at work, intimate relationship, friends, family, co-workers, mm. anybody who over time is changing the way that you feel about yourself 
for the worse. Yeah. Reducing your self-esteem, that's that's a toxic relationship for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you usually tend to be fairly quick on those emotions. You can we just tend to ignore them culturally. We accept that we should be nicer to everybody and that we should, you know, give everybody the benefit of the doubt. So we will sometimes suppress those feelings that we know, oh, I feel don't like this person, but we just keep going. And that's my problem to a degree because I probably give everyone the benefit of the doubt and think mm-hmm. they're just having a bad day or whatever. Yep. It takes me a lot longer to understand Mm. and this is what makes it so hard because I would agree Colin always wants to see the best in people and that is a beautiful thing right right do we really want to undo that we don't really but we we have to somewhere along the line draw a line and say okay yes let's give them the benefit of the doubt until we get to this Mm. second yeah. Right. Marker or something. Right. Yeah. And then, you know what? Start to yeah. back off or something. Yeah. 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 Would you say that you have also had experiences of these sorts of people in your life? Oh, that- definitely. But at the time, I wouldn't have known probably. Yeah. Not, not, yeah. yeah. But it you can look back and see retrospectively the damage and the impact and the unhealthy sort of pattern. That prote- yeah. 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 If you could go back and completely avoid having this experience, would you? Oh, absolutely not. No, no, not at all. Because if I can empower one person by letting them know that I understand what that mess is, then, you know, I think that's so valuable. Yeah. And it, it's it's changed me as a person. It's broadened my mind in a whole other realm that I probably wouldn't have gone down and it, yeah, it certainly brought me to my knees. And once you're down on your knees, the only way is up. So, yeah. Yeah, great. Colin, anything to add? I'm just amazed that I got to sit here and listen to two amazing people. I had nothing to say. Shucks. Uh, no, uh, it's just <laughs> incredible. Oh, well, thanks, Colin. There you go. That's kind of you to say. All right. Well, you get a pay rise. Hey. <clears throat> oh, Kirsty, Kirsty, you get a pay rise. <laughs> yes. Well, look, I mean, hopefully this has been validating for some, even one person or a mm. couple of people who who are listening. And if you are experiencing any kind of abuse, if if this has triggered anything for you or have any concerns, can we encourage you to talk to somebody about it? We are not mental health experts. We are just trying to generate a conversation about mental health. But there are people, there are things that you can do and people that you can talk to. In Australia, we have a National Abuse Counselling Hotline, which is 1-800-737-732. You can call Lifeline 13 11 14. Speak to a friend, speak to a doctor. Don't stop until you find someone who believes you. Amen, sister. (laughs) Well, and we'll also link, we might, once we figure out how to do show notes, which we're working on, right? we can link to some resources that we've spoken about in the show notes as well. So Yes, and we do have resources on on my, on my our website at advocators.com.au. Perfect. All right. Well. There you go. Thanks for listening to another episode of Enabled. Enabled. Thanks, See you next time. Woohoo. Bye-bye.
This episode is sponsored by Ability Advocators, high-quality, personalised supports in disability and mental health. 